are listening to TGTM News number 88, recorded for Tuesday, January the 22nd, 2013. You are listening to the tech-only Hacker Public Radio edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. Hello again, this is Bobo Bex, and now for the Tech Roundup from EFF.org, dated the 11th of January 2013 by Hani Fakori. Free Speech Victory, Court Grants Preliminary Injunction in EFF's Prop 35 Suit. Late Friday, a federal judge granted a preliminary injunction in the lawsuit EFF filed with the ACLU of Northern Carolina that challenges the unconstitutional provisions in Proposition 35, a ballot measure passed by California voters in November that restricts the legal and constitutionally protected speech of all registered sex offenders in California. EFF and the ACLU-NC filed the lawsuits the morning after Election Day, noting that although Prop 35 is ostensibly about increasing punishment for human traffickers, it's beset with problems. The biggest was its requirement that registrants turn over a list of all their internet identifiers and service providers to law enforcement. The court granted a temporary restraining order hours after the lawsuit was filed, and today the court granted the preliminary induction, finding we were likely to succeed in showing that Prop 35 violated the First Amendment. First, the court found that there was a clear chilling effect on speech because registrants would have to disclose their identity either before they speak or within 24 hours after speaking somewhere online. Plus, without any safeguards to prevent the public dissemination of this online identification information and the potential three-year prison term awaiting a registrant for failing to comply, the court was convinced that registrants would think twice before speaking. The court also found that Prop 35 applied both to more speakers and more speech than necessary to advance the government interest in combating human trafficking. Prop 35 requires anyone who is a registered sex offender, even people with decades-old low-level offences like misdemeanour, indecent exposure, and people whose offences were not related to the internet, to report this information. That would cover more than 75,000 Californians, and it required a wide range of information, including email addresses, usernames and other identifiers used for online political discussion groups, book and restaurant review sites, forums about medical conditions and newspapers or blog comments to be turned over to the government. While the government claimed at a hearing last month they only intended to use the information if it had a nexus to a criminal investigation, the court found that nexus to be missing from the text of Prop 35 at all. As a result, the court believed registrants' right to speak anonymously will therefore be chilled. For the rest of this article, please follow the links in the show notes. A Canadian court has rejected a request from the United States to hand over 32 servers hosted by a local provider. Instead of simply handing over all data, which may include personal files or users, the court decided to first determine what files are stored on the machines. Mega Upload lawyer Ira Rothkin 
is pleased with the ruling and hopes the United States will be more considerate of the privacy of cloud hosting users when requesting data seizures in the future. When Mega Upload was raided last year, the US government seized 1,103 servers at Carpathia's hosting facility in the United States. However, that was not the only hardware used by the file hosting site. Mega Upload also had machines elsewhere, including 32 servers at an Equinix data centre in Canada. Suspecting that these machines may hold crucial data for the ongoing lawsuit, the US government asked Canada to hand them over for investigation. In their request to the court, the authorities back up their claim by citing an email from Mega Upload staff, stating that the Canadian servers will serve as a database stroke number crunching machines. Mega Upload protested this broad request, arguing that the servers may contain a lot of information that's simply irrelevant to the case. The company has asked the court to either deny the request or appoint an independent forensic examiner who can inform the court of what kind of files are stored on the 32 servers. The Ontario court agreed with this reservation and refused to send the servers to the United States before the contents are confirmed. The appropriate balance of the state interest in gathering evidence and privacy interests in information can be struck by an order that the servers be brought before the court, so that the court can make an order refining what is to be sent, the order reads. For more information on this article, please follow the links in the show notes. The next tech story comes from EmptyWheel.net, dated the 17th of January 2013 by EmptyWheel. What to do about computer crime laws. In a long piece published in Alternet on Tuesday, I noted that Aaron Swartz's treatment was not at all that unusual, quoted as saying, In some ways, what was happening to Swartz was not all that unusual. George Washington University law professor Orrin Kerr, a leading expert on computer crime law who is sympathetic to the issues that Swartz championed, explains that the government's charges fall within the norm for computer crimes. Moreover, the tactics used in this case are normal for the Department of Justice. The government often multiple charges in order to coerce defendants to plead guilty without a trial. The laws governing computer crime criminalise all sorts of actions that don't seem like they should be crimes. The government inflates charges beyond all proportion to coerce plea deals. The government's prosecutorial powers are overwhelming. This administration and these prosecutors have aggressively used the law to shut off the free flow of information. So to the extent people are horrified by how Swartz was treated, they should also be horrified by the abuse of prosecutorial discretion more generally, whether it affects a genius like Swartz nabbed on a computer crime charge or a regular person brought on in drugs charges. End quote. That same day, I suggested it would be far better off and far truer to Aaron Swartz's ethic trying to fix systemic problems than avenging him personally, though I also called for firing Lanny Brewer, the head of the Department of Justice's criminal division. Quote, One of the most ethical suggestions I've seen, and I'm not even sure if there is a White House petition for it, is to fix the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Update. Thanks to Saul Tannenbaum, here it is. The government should never throw the book at Aaron for accessing MIT's network and downloading scholarly research. However, some extremely problematic elements of the law made it impossible. We can trace some of those issues to the US criminal justice system as an institution, and I suspect others will write about that in the coming days. 
but Aaron's tragedy also signs a spotlight on the couple of profound flaws in the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act in particular and it gives us an opportunity to think about how to address them. I didn't know Aaron personally but he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would seek individualised solutions to systemic problems and one of the problems with the system that destroyed him is a law that badly criminalises actions that don't present much harm. To read the rest of this post, please follow the links in the show notes. Our next article comes from torrentfreak.com, dated the 15th of January 2013 by Ben Jones. Copyright strike systems are modern witch trials. Our final tech story is from EFF.org, dated the 12th of January 2013 by Peter Eckersley. Farewell to Aaron Schwartz, an extraordinary hacker and activist. Yesterday, Aaron Schwartz, a close friend and collaborator of ours, committed suicide. This is a tragic end to a brief and extraordinary life. Aaron did more than almost anyone to make the internet a thriving ecosystem for open knowledge and to keep it that way. His contributions were numerous and some of them were indispensable. When we asked him in late 2010 for help in stopping COICA, the predecessor to the SOPA and PIPA internet blacklist bills, he founded an organisation called Demand Progress, which mobilised over a million online activists and proved to be an invaluable ally in winning that campaign. Other projects Erin worked on included the RSS specifications, web.pi, Tor2Web, the Open Library and the Chrome port of HTTPS Everywhere. Aaron helped launch the Creative Commons. He was a former co-founder at Reddit and a member of the team that made the site successful. His blog was often a delight. Aaron's eloquent brilliance was mixed with a complicated introversion. He communicated on his own schedule and needed a lot of space to himself, which frustrated some of his collaborators. He was fascinated by the social world around him, but often found it tortuous to deal with. For a long time, Aaron was more comfortable reading books than talking to humans. He once told me something like, even talking to very smart people is hard, but if I just sit down and read their books, I get their most considered and insightful thoughts condensed in a beautiful and efficient form. I can learn from books faster than I can from talking to the authors. His passion for the written word, for open knowledge and his flair for self-promotion sometimes produced spectacular results, even before the events that proved to be his undoing. In 2011, Aaron used the MIT Campus Network to download millions of journal articles from the JSTOR database, allegedly changing his laptop's IP and MAC addresses when necessary to get around the blocks put in place by JSTOR and MIT and sneaking into a closet to get a faster connection to the MIT network. For this purported crime, Aaron was facing criminal charges with penalties up to 35 years in prison, most seriously for unauthorised access to computers under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. If we believe the prosecutor's allegations against him, Aaron had hoped to liberate the millions of scientific and scholarly articles he had downloaded from JSTOR, releasing them so that anyone could read them or analyse them as a single giant data set, something that Aaron had done before. While his methods were provocative, the goal that Aaron died fighting for, freeing the publicly funded scientific literature from a publishing system that makes it inaccessible to most of those who paid for it, is one that we should all support. Moreover, the situation Aaron found himself in highlights the injustice of US computer crime laws, and particularly their punishment regimes. 
Aaron's act was undoubtedly political activism and taking such an act in the physical world would, at most, have meant that he faced light penalties akin to trespassing as part of a political protest. Because he used a computer, he instead faced long-term incarceration. This is a disparity that EFF has fought against for years. Yesterday, it had tragic consequences. Lawrence Lessig has called for this tragedy to be a basis for reform on computer crime laws and the overzealous prosecutors who use them. We agree. Aaron, we sorely miss your friendship and your help in building a better world. May you rest in peace. Other tech headlines in the news that you may wish to read are Aaron Schwartz's lawyer, prosecutor Stephen Heyman wanted juicy case for publicity, Law professor James Grimmelman explains how he probably violated the same laws as Aaron Schwartz. EFF's initial improvements to Aaron's law for computer crime reform. To read these articles, please follow the links in the show notes. This week's edition has been staffed and produced by the TGTM News Team. Editorial selection by Deep Geek. Views of the story authors reflect their own opinions and not necessarily those of TGTM News. News from EmptyWheel.net, TheStand.org and AllGov.com are used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org is used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Licence. News from VenezuelaAnalysis.com and DemocracyNow.org is used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives Licence. News from the RealityCheck.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Share-Alike Licence. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.